0: Uh, 10 in your bibles Romans chapter 10 we haven't done a church wide banquet in quite a while so I'm looking forward to doing that this year she still remembered us though when I called over there she still I don't know what we did last time but somehow or another she remembered us so (laughs) Um, probably because she had her computer in front of her when I said her name I pulled it up but anyways Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse number 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Let's pray. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you so much for these people that you've given us, Lord, uh, this church that we have. Uh, Lord, we're not talking about the building. We're talking about the people. And this is your doing. Not one of us would be here if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for uh, the things we've been able to get lined up just this week, Lord. And uh, I just pray that, Lord, we we don't know what the future holds, but I do pray that you give us a good year in the Lord. Regardless of what happens in the world around us, give us a good year in the Lord. Strengthen us and speak to our hearts tonight, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Notice in verse number one, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Uh, Paul, as I've mentioned to you already, had an overwhelming burden for the Jews. Now, look at it. To God for who? There's, there's no doubt about that, right? He's talking about Israel as a nation. Now Now, hang on a second. If God was done with the Jews permanently and for good... If all the promises of the Jews had been given to the church like some of these guys teach nowadays, they, they believe that we've replaced Israel and that the promises that Israel had are now ours. If those guys were true, why would Paul say something like that in Romans 12.1? Look at, look at 2 Corinthians. Real quick, flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12.7 A point I'm going to make to you out of this verse is that if anybody would know that God was done with Israel, it would be Paul, right? (laughs) 2 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure." In other words, the apostle Paul knew so much... And God had showed him so much. Things that he's not even allowed to tell us, he said. Things that's not even lawful to utter. Some of the things that he saw, some of the things that he knew. It, his, his level of understanding from God was so advanced that God had to give him authority in the flesh, a direct messenger from the devil himself. That is a capital S talking. It's not like you and me wrestling against flesh and blood. Not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And, you know what I mean. Like, you and I probably deal with some pretty low-level imps, if you know what I'm saying. We got the little devils messing with us. Most of us aren't such big fish that that Lucifer himself is coming after us. Uh, Most of us are not a Job, okay? I mean, probably not a Job in the room, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, And not to put you down, I'm just saying that when God looked around the whole earth, he said, there's no man on this planet like Job. Could we, as American Christians even be so bold as to say that could possibly even be us. You haven't been put through some of the things your brothers and sisters in Christ are going through right now in China or in Russia or in some of the Muslim countries. We haven't even had a chance to prove our salt on that level. Right. So I highly doubt we're that guy. I mean, I don't think I'm Martin Luther. I think the devil probably knew who Martin Luther was. I would, I would venture a guess that the devil knew who Brother, uh, brother Ruckman was. I'd say he's probably one of the last ones in this generation that the devil actually would probably personally have messed with him. But most of us don't deal with it on that level. It's just the enemy, he's coming after me. No, it's probably just a little punk, (laughs) a little punk devil, you know what I mean? Because that's probably all I can handle, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I'm not even volunteering for nothing like that. I'm volunteering to follow the Lord, and I want to follow the Lord wherever he wants me to go, and I want to give him 100%. But I'm not being so arrogant as to say I want to be in on that level. That's a scary thing to me. He said, I got a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. He said, God has showed me so much and given me so many revelations that God had to allow the devil at me to give me a thorn in the flesh that I carry around the rest of my life. I'm burdened with this thing. It's the long-term wear and tear of the burden I have to carry from the devil so that I don't get so arrogant God can't use me. Now, if a guy's on that level, don't you think he might know if God was done with Israel and the church got Israel's promises? Yes, so I don't know who these arrogant little jacklegs are that are getting in pulpits or on YouTube or whatever they're doing nowadays and trying to tell you that the church replaced Israel. Go back to Romans chapter 10, please. If you pay any attention at all to a lot of what's going on in church today, these goofy preachers that don't even hardly open a Bible. They'll take a proof text somewhere, a verse somewhere. They'll pull that verse out of context and they'll preach to you for an hour on one verse privately interpreted out of context. And what the message boils down to almost every time is it's you it's your best life, it's you getting a raise, it's your career, it's you doing better, it's God making you something special because you need to be seen and you need to be noticed and you need to be a leader and we need leaders to train leaders because we're trying to produce leaders and everybody's got to be a leader. They're not really preaching Bible to you. What you and I need is we need what the Bible says. And what is very obvious in this text is God's not done with Israel, and Paul's begging God to to see Israel saved. Look at verse number 2. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Listen, we need more zealous Christians. I'm tired of watching deadhead Christians. I mean, we need some Christians that have a fire in their gut for the Lord Jesus Christ, are not ashamed to speak out for Him, that, I mean, passionately love Him. Folks, I'm not talking about being this zealous Christian that's attacking every lost person that walks by, mocking and criticizing and breaking everybody down that doesn't agree with you. You know what that is? That's an insecure individual. Why does it get quiet when I say stuff like that? If you got to break other people down, you got an issue. I'm talking about people that are zealous for the Lord Jesus Christ, zealous for the Word of God, zealous to reach souls with the gospel. People that I mean, like I, I think you got some of it because you don't come in here as happy as you are when you're not zealous to some extent, not on a Wednesday night, anyhow. I think a zeal is a great thing. But you know what you've got to temper your zeal with? Knowledge. What's it? John chapter 16, verse 2. Jesus tells them that the day will come that they'll think that they do God's service to kill you. You think that's not zealous? That's zealous. They literally think they're serving God when they kill you because you believe the Bible. Your zeal better be balanced with some knowledge. And folks, that's what you're supposed to be here for. We're supposed to be getting into this book and reading this book and learning this book. I mean, you know it. I've said it before. I'm beating a dead horse. I'm going to beat the dead horse some more because there's always one or two people that can't seem to register. You know, they don't seem to get it. You're supposed to be here because you love that book and you want that Bible to be taught and to get in you and to get in your mind and to get in your heart. You want God to speak to you more than anything on the planet. You need to get to know Jesus Christ, the knowledge of God. You know what the problem is? The problem is when you become so knowledge-oriented, you lose your zeal. And I've known a lot of Christians like that. It's like, well, we're right, nobody else is right, we're right, and everybody else is wrong. And once you get in that mindset, you know what happens to the church? It dies every time. Man, I want, I want to be zealous for the Lord. I'll tell you that's one of the good things for me about, about getting out on the street and preaching. It just, it just forces you out of your comfort zone, man, and they cuss at you and throw stuff at you and all the rest of that stuff and all the distractions are coming your way. If you can stand out there and preach and keep your mind together and get through your message on a street corner, a uh, pulpit's a lot easier. Friendly cloud that wants to hear it for the most part. You know, <laughs> There's always one or two that don't, but for the most part, everybody wants to hear it. Talking about zeal. But zeal's better, better be tempered with knowledge. But once you get the knowledge, don't lose the zeal. Why is it that once we get older in the Lord and learn our Bibles a little bit, we calm down? Well, they had zeal, but their zeal was the wrong kind of zeal. So, what good does your zeal do you if your zeal's not rooted in the Bible? Uh, excuse me for a minute, Dan. I'm going to make you, I'm going to embarrass you for a second. Um, Dan and I met together. Well, you it was 12 years ago, probably close to that, something like that. Now you're 32 now. You're 34 now. Sorry. Were you still a teenager? Were you 20 when we met? How old were you when we met? Twenty-one. Something like that. Yeah, okay. He, he had zeal, man. I don't know. I've ever seen a young man with more zeal. He was just, just chomping at the bit, frothed up. He'd been on a couple of missions trips trips. He was going to the mission field. And we met at uh, Java House, right, in town. And I, <laughs> poor guy, busted his chops, man. I mean, I, he was turning beet red, and I just said, okay, do you know what the JWs believe? Well, I, I said, here, show me. Show me where their proof texts are and show me why they're wrong. I handed him my Bible. I said, do you know what the Mormons believe? Sh- show me a verse that refutes the Mormons. Uh, 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 uh. Turn them beet red. I could see the disappointment. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating it, right? I could see that he was just worked up. I went home and told Grace. I said, well, he'll probably be gone. You know what shocked me? He came back in. He kept getting more and more fired up about, you know, wanting to do something, missions and this, that, and the other thing. He'd been to Africa, right, a couple times. I said, well, you need to enroll in school. Why? Because you got all the zeal, but what are you going to tell the Africans when you get over there and they're Jehovah's Witnesses? What are you going to tell them when you get over there and there's a whole bunch of Pentecostals? Do you know why we don't speak in tongues? Do you know the verses where they're at in the Bible? And why, why they don't apply to us today? Can you answer those questions? Can you explain what tongues are? You know what? Very few, very few. have had a lot of those conversations. Very few young men actually acted on it. You know what he had? He had the zeal, man, and a lot of it. And I've always told him, I said, don't lose some of the good stuff you had when you came here because there was some good stuff he had. But you've got to balance that with some knowledge. he's finished Bible school and he can answer all those questions now he can hold his own real good why well you just had to get some knowledge had to balance that thing out you know what the contemporary churches do they do to you what they did to him and what they were doing to Billy who's did the same thing it took three years I think from the time I met him till he came to the church and it was a real slow process but the point I had to make is you're not learning the Bible and the guy's got all the zeal in the world and when they got a lot of zeal and they're genuine about their zeal, that's a good thing. Don't ever try to throw ice on a young man's zeal. I'd rather have them zealous and frothed up and fired up than a deadhead that don't care anyhow. Because when you got a guy that's on fire and you can tra- channel that thing the right direction, God can do something with him. Mm-hmm. Billy, the same thing. You know what they did, the first thing they did? And it just crushed <laughs> me. I was so upset. And I met him. He walked up to me at the gym. I was on the lat pull-down machine. He come. you know Billy. You guys know Billy by now, right? I'm sitting there. He just comes walking right up in my personal space. Hey, man. I'm like, <laughs> back up, you know? And then he was uh, such a nice kid. I'm like, wow, I can't hardly get mad at this guy. And He started asking me about my ears. I thought he was, the way he approached me, I thought he wanted in on my set, you know? Like, can I work in? And I... Just don't like it when some random guy walks up. Not nowadays. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, 20 years ago, yeah, but nowadays, hey, can I work in with you? you like, what are you, a queer? You don't get away from me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, you know, he just comes walking up, and I'm thinking, like, nothing about him struck me that way, just so you know. Okay, that wasn't a shot at Billy. I'm just saying. I'm just on guard all the time, you know. And he started commenting on my ears, and, and one thing led to the other. I think I saw him, I don't know, five or six times in there, and I came in with one of my, my sport jacket on one day, after, and he's like, well, Where are you coming from? I said, work. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He said, what? Just like that. What? No. He thought I was joking. I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. Well, I got talking a little bit. He had just recently gotten saved and he was plugged right, just recently gotten saved. Plugged right in to working with the youth. I'd like to come, but I can't because my kids need me. Okay, I appreciate the zeal. Why aren't these churches giving them knowledge? You know, he and I did one time. We stood there in the gym, and with my phone, because I didn't have my Bible, it was out in the car, and with my phone, we ran through all the verses, and I explained to him what salvation was. And he said, That's exactly what I did, but nobody ever showed me all that. I didn't lead him to Christ, he was already saved. You know what you got in church nowadays? You got no knowledge you got a bunch of people wanting to plug everybody that walks in the door in. They want to plug them in. They want to give them something to do, get them working, get them busy, and make them realize you're needed. You have to be here because the church needs you. And so you just capitalize on the zeal and plug them right in, but you don't give them any Bible. You know what you better do? You better make sure you're getting some knowledge. I don't ever want to kill your zeal. I've been praying, asking God because we got so many young people and everybody's getting more and more fired up and all that stuff. I'm like, Lord, open doors. Give us something to do. I'm not going to go create things for you to do. I don't want to get out of God's will. I don't want to mess you up. You know what the Lord started doing? He started opening up some doors. Why? Because obviously there's some zeal sitting here. And some of you have been sitting here long enough to where you got your roots down and you're learning some things and you're learning some Bible and you can turn to some references and you're ready. So now the doors are starting to open up. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you got some knowledge. Don't lose your zeal. Well, they were messed up because they had zeal, but they didn't have it according to knowledge. Verse number three, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Now watch this. And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You can't have both. It's either yours or his. That's it. Every religion boils down to one of two things. Every plan of salvation that exists, it's either doing or done. I don't care if they're Muslims. I don't care if they're Catholics. I don't care what they are. It's either doing or done. You know what I mean by that? It's either my works or the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's only two plans of salvation out there that are being taught today. Does that make sense? What I'm telling you is, you either got your righteousness, my works are saving me. And so some of them will say, well, it's faith in Jesus plus my baptism, faith in Jesus plus if I got to keep it, faith in Jesus plus. Or it's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have nothing to offer plus nothing, minus nothing. I needed him. He doesn't need me. I'm giving him absolutely nothing but my soul. I'm giving him nothing but my submission, my obedience, my bowed knee, my broken heart. I'm begging him to forgive me because everything I am is a sinner. That's what I am. I know people don't like to hear that nowadays, but that's the fact of the matter. That's Bible. I'm, I'm so wore out with this stuff. I read it this morning and Pharaoh said to, to Moses, he said, I have sinned this time against God and you. I never, I never picked up on that one. I have sinned this time. I thought, man, that, that sounds like a lot of people in the world today. Well, yeah, I was wrong. Well, I, should, I, I shouldn't have done that, but really I'm a good person. See, that's what he's saying. Well, I made a mistake, but that's not really who I am. No, listen. If you're sitting in prison, you're sitting in prison because that's who you are. That's right. You understand that? Oh, well, I made a mistake. No, you fornicated because you're a fornicator. Well, I had one too many. No, you're a drunk. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm usually a pretty good person and I don't have a foul mouth, but I slipped. No, you're a cusser. Yeah. Well, it's just a little white lie. I'm not a liar. No, you're a liar. Yeah. Yeah. Now you know why we don't have a megachurch. Yeah. Laughter do you understand the difference? Yes. This, this, well, that, I just made a mistake stuff. That's not repentance. That's you trying to hang on to your own righteousness while you acknowledge enough of Jesus to get a little like maybe I'm going to make it. I think I'm saved. Yeah, I'm good. No, salvation is nothing of me, all of him. Right. Okay. Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, you need to be careful because these demonic spirits are going around nowadays trying to tell you that you're back under the law. I don't understand what this stuff is, folks. It's wild. I'm telling you what, I do know what it is. We're getting closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what it is. And so these demonic spirits are creeping into these churches. Now, I'm going to warn you about this stuff. I'm going to warn you again. This small group stuff, and I'm going to say something pretty, pretty bold here, okay? I think this whole small group movement is more of the devil than it is anything. I didn't say every small group is. I said I think the majority of it is more of the devil than anything. Do you know God put a responsibility, a duty, on pastors and teachers in the church to be apt to teach? You know why? To make sure the right doctrine is coming out of the pulpit. That's the point what's the point of an ordination service why should you ask where I was ordained why should you know who my preacher is why should you know where I was trained why should you know who influenced me why should you know who influenced them hmm, the two, so, right, who influenced the people that influenced me yeah, yeah. you should know that shouldn't you yes, sir. I think it was Mike Schlintz when you first looked this up right He came in and he's like, who's, who's, were you even saved yet? I think you would just gotten saved. Uh, No, No, you came in lost, but I think by the time you started asking me about my lineage, you had just gotten saved, like it was the first couple weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Who's uh, David Peacock? I looked at him, I thought, that joker already knows who he is. (laughs) I could tell he had already looked him up, he's looking at me. Who's David Peacock? Who's Peter Ruckman? He's naming all this, This he, he, he just saw, I don't know how he did it, but he's a tech guy for whatever. This is what he does for a living, he's internet stuff, you know. And he, he figured out and followed the chain. He was, he was looking up to see where I was trained, where I'd been from, and was listening and trying to find out. Well, that's pretty smart, in my opinion. I thought, I think I like this guy. Why is that important? Well, I mean, ordination is in the Bible, isn't it? when they ordain you what they're doing is they're laying hands on you and publicly saying the credibility that we've earned and the ministry that God's given us we're saying that we believe this guy's in the same body of faith as we are and he believes what we believe and you can listen to him how how do you control all that when you break everybody off into a million little small groups you don't know who coming into that church and who's sneaking in there and running that show you don't know what they're teaching you can't control it it gets out of control And then you get the little group sitting around, and it's, well, what does your Bible say? Well, what does your Bible say? Well, what does your Bible say? Well, what what do you think it means? We need to do a drill again. We did a drill not long ago. We need to do it again. I had about six or eight guys up here, all with a different version of the Bible. And everybody read the exact same passage out of their Bible at the exact same time. And you know what it sounded like? It sounded like somebody was speaking in tongues in the church. (laughs) You couldn't even figure out what was being said. That's what the body of Christ all over this planet is hearing. When there's one voice from one shepherd, according to this Bible, you're supposed to be hearing the same thing, and the body of Christ ain't hearing the same thing. And you got people sitting around a group, what do you think it means, what do you think it means, what do you think it means, what do you think it means? And you know what sneaks into all those groups? Always somebody wants to bring you back under the law. Or somebody wants to tell you you're going through the tribulation. Or somebody wants to tell you we're bringing in the kingdom. Or somebody wants to tell you, well, you might have been saved by faith, but you better keep it by works. They don't understand what it means to rightly divide the word of truth. And they'll confuse your mind so bad, get you so far off track, it ain't even funny. I'm against it. It's my responsibility. That's why when I'm home, you support me, don't you? So I owe it to you to get up here and preach and teach. I'm not trying to be a ball hog. I take my responsibilities seriously. He said, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. So how do you figure you're under the law? Well, the law is holy and just and good, and you've got to keep the commandments. You really want that? you so crazy as to really want to be under the law? Go to the book of Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law, for as many as are of the works of the law, are under the curse. For as written, cursed is every one that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. They tell you they're keeping the commandments. <laughs> you stinking liar. You stinking liar. You are not, you're not keeping the law. You're a pork-eating Gentile. Right. You're wearing mixed garments full of different kinds of fabrics. You're a liar. You ain't keeping the law, you nuts. This cracks me up, man. Just, I, mean, just, I just can't even imagine how anybody could be so foolish. You've got to either have been taught wrong by somebody or you've got to willfully be blind because you're arrogant and you think your righteousness will hack it, so you're a self-righteous, arrogant, conceited jerk that thinks you don't need Jesus Christ. And then you claim his name, but you think that your works are going to do it because you're keeping the law. How how in the world could you ever imagine keeping the law or say that people are under the law or try to put people back under the law when you read what Paul says to the church in Galatia? You want to be under the law? Then you're cursed. You You know what weirds me out? I drove by a church and so I I have a bad habit, you know, I drove by a church and it looked like that was just a a multi, multi multi-million dollar building. And so I I looked them up, shouldn't have done it. (laughs) And it's the first day of Lent. And they weren't even Catholic. And they they got people coming up, coming through the front and they're putting a black X on their forehead. It's a black spot on your forehead. Now, I've taught you enough Bibles so you know something about a black spot on your forehead, don't you? Yes, sir. That would literally be like, literally, it's a step away from the preacher saying, all right, come on up here and I'm going to give you a 666 on your forehead as we begin to celebrate the first day of Lent. In honor of the resurrection of our Savior. What, 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 what are you talking about? The Antichrist who's going to be resurrected in the tribulation? Is that what you're talking about? And and he's got them coming up there and they're putting a black spot, a black cross. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. A cross is a curse. They're putting, what, what did Jesus Christ take on himself on the cross? Sin. The curse of sin. And they're putting a black cross on everybody's forehead. Now, you know the Catholics do that, and it already gives me the heebie-jeebies, man. I think, man, those, people don't, those poor people are so blinded, and they're doing it in the name of Christ. They don't know. You know what the problem is? It goes back to what we said earlier. There's no knowledge. No, well, they got zeal, but they got no knowledge. Then they have a guy get up there to give his testimony, you know. I shouldn't have watched it. I told you I shouldn't have watched it, but I did. And he's up there and he goes on and on and on and on so eloquently and he brags about all of his financial accomplishments and then he failed and then he bounced back and the levels that he went to in his career and how all the time he's searching around. And just, you know, of course, he'd been, been in the church a very short period of time, but the, but the bootlicking, kiss-up preacher, since the guy's got money, puts him in the platform, you know. And, and so he's up there and he's going on and on and on and on about, and I'm waiting for his testimony because he's supposed to be giving his testimony And he goes on and on and on and on and on. And he's sitting in a deer stand, and the Lord says to him, well, you know, who am I? Who are you? And he said, who am I? He read from Matthew 3 about John the Baptist. And he goes through this whole thing, and he says, the whole point of his whole deal, he mentioned the name of Jesus Christ two to three times, the whole time, and never talked about salvation, never talked about sin, Never talked about hell, never talked about the new birth the entire time. And got down there and went through this list of all these people in his life. And I figured out, and he's naming his different friends and his wife and all these different people in his life. And he's merciful, she's loving, gracious, loyal. Who am I? And the whole thing came down to I'm a great guy. And I finally know who I am. And I know my purpose. Because God spoke to me. That's my salvation testimony. In church. A church that John Wesley started. You know Martin Luther? He would roll over in his grave if he walked in the average Lutheran church today. Folks, it's ridiculous to me. It's unbelievable to me that people think their works can save them. And then they pull the name of Jesus into it. You know what's going on? They're not being taught any Bible. That's what's going on all over this country. And they name the name of Christ, but they don't know him. Verse 11 in Galatians 3, That no man is justified by the law in the sight of God it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You see it? Why, in the old days they'd hang them. They let you know they were cursed. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Skip down with me, if you would, please, to verse twenty-one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could not give, which could have given life, see that. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, what did you get when you got saved? Eternal what? Mm-hmm. Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. See that. If there was a law given that could give life, then righteousness would have been by the law. The law is holy, just, and good. You know what it was given for? Not to make you holy, just, and good. It was given to show you you're not holy, just, or good. And it kept you in bondage and beat you down and beat you down and beat you down and beat you down. That's what it did. And they had to keep coming back and offering another sacrifice and another sacrifice and another sacrifice and another sacrifice. And And they had to do that all the way to the end of their life without giving up, without stopping. Because if they gave up or stopped, they went to hell. And if they did it all the way to the end of their life, they went to Abraham's bosom, not heaven. And they waited for Christ to get crucified. They were in the center of the earth, but they weren't in the hell side of it. The law didn't do it for them. I don't want to be under the law. And thank God I don't have to be according to my Bible. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, verse 22, that the promise of faith by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. See that? By faith, it's given to you. It's a gift. You know, people hate that message. They recoil at it. Well, I feel like i got to do something. Well, you're telling me there's no works. And then they start making false accusations. Well, that means you can live however you want do whatever you want. Well, first of all, if I'm truly born again, my want to's change. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Second of all, if you know your Bible at all, that when you get truly saved, your heavenly Father doesn't sit back and let you do anything you want. He beats the fire out of you when you mess up. So if you really got saved, you understood the fear of God. And if you understand the fear of God, it's the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom will lead you in the ways of righteousness. But that's just nothing more than letting the life of Christ in you come out. It's dying to yourself and living to Him. It has nothing to do, it really has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Him and your relationship with Him. That's true Christian fruit. Everything else is beating down the outside and looking like you're doing something you're not doing. That's all the the standards, you know, the pants and pork preaching. It's because we want to make sure that our testimony and reputation looks good to everybody else. And it has nothing to do with wanting our people to grow in Jesus Christ and letting God do in their hearts what he wants to do so that in his timing, the outside will be what he wants it to be. That's real fruit. I don't give a flip what anybody else says about my church. I've heard the comments and I tune them out. I don't give a flip. Why? Because you matter to me. You think I care what you think about my wife? If you don't like her, pretend like you do. If you want me to like you. I don't care what you think. You think I care what you think about my kids? You think I want your help or input in raising my kids? I don't need your help. Shut up and walk away. You got your own kids. Worry about them. Why? Because that's my family. That's okay I feel like that, right? Yeah, sir. I feel the same way about you. You know what I want you to do? I want you to grow in Jesus Christ, draw closer to Him, make Him happy. Yeah. Yeah. And when we get to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, it'll all wash itself out, and by then I'll be in a mindset that's the mind of Christ, so I won't look at the other guys and go... <laughs> <laughs> that was very immature, and I apologize. I will grow out of it eventually if you stick around, okay? Lord helping me. Look at the next verse, verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Where do you get that you're keeping the law? Back to Romans chapter 10. For Moses describeth the righteousness, verse 5, which is of the law, that the man that doeth those things shall live by them. You want that? Romans 7 says, In me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, and I find a law in my flesh, a law of sin. You want to live under the law? Yeah. That's insanity. But the righteousness, which is of faith, speaketh on this wise. Say not mine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up again from the dead. So, You're not bringing him down, and you didn't bring him up. You can't attain your own salvation. He came down to attain your salvation. He took upon him the form of a a man and was found in fashion as a man and got tempted in every point like as you are yet without sin. And then he descended in his own power, and he ascended in his own power because he's God. So he raised himself from the dead. You think you can do that? If you say your works are going to save you, that's what you're saying. You're saying, my righteousness will get me out of the grave. That's what you're saying. If you think there's any element of works in your salvation, you're saying you're going to raise yourself up. You can't do that. That ain't going to happen. That's what Paul's showing us. Verse 8, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Boy, that's a great verse. You know why they take the name of Jesus Christ in vain? Because the word's that close to Yeah, It's like Judas kissing the door to heaven before he gets kicked off into hell for eternity. Why, why do they, they got to take Jesus Christ's name in vain? Why don't they ever say Buddha or Mohammed or something like that? Instead, they say Jesus Christ in a cussing way. You know why? Because the lesser swears by the greater. That's why. That in their heart and mind, in their conscience, in their soul, they know who he is. And when they want to express themselves in the strongest way possible in all the universe, they take the name of Jesus Christ in vain. Yeah, that's right, that's right. The word's nigh thee. It's close, boy. You know what they'll say? You will say, well, yeah, I know we all sin. The word's nigh thee. Well, no, my good works outweigh my bad. You just admitted you got bad words. You see how close they are? That bad works. You see how close they are? The word's real close. What is it? It's the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Not might be. Shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, here's what I want to say about that. It ain't a magic prayer. Repeat the prayer after me. You know, you can repeat the prayer every day of the week. You can say it every single morning, and every single lunch, and every single evening, every single day of your life, and die and go to hell. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know because of my sin that I deserve to go to hell. I know Jesus came and died on the cross to take away my sin. Please come into my heart, forgive my sin, and save my soul. Amen. Like it's some kind of a Roman Catholic Mm -hmm. prayer. And go to hell. He says... That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, verse 10, is commented, it's a commentary on verse 9. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Sir. See that? Yeah. You know how my dad got saved? And I believe with all my heart my dad saved. And I don't know his soul and I get all that, but I think I, I'm sure he's a born again man. He showed the fruits of it, and I'm I'm sure of it. You know I got to say? If my memory serves me correct, I think what he told me is, he said, Lord, help me. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he was on his way to hell. Somebody showed him the gospel. He knew Christ died to take away his sin, and he didn't know how to say all the words. He was a Roman Catholic. He was looking for some fancy prayer. And all he could do is fall down and say, Lord, help me. You wouldn't believe some of the prayers I've heard prayed in that office, man. I, you couldn't give me a million dollars for some of the prayers I've heard prayed. And then they look up and they're like, I don't, sometimes they don't even say amen. They're just like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to end this. And I'm like, don't end it. Just keep it going. Just, just, just keep talking to them while you drive home. And just, <laughs> It ain't like that. Man, it's a blessing. I've heard some of those, just the strangest salvation prayers you ever heard in your life, and then I look up and I look at them. They're sitting there, tears coming out of their face, and their faces glowing. I should have done that a long time ago. What just happened? Now oh, the prayer wasn't perfect, but the heart was crying out. Have you ever had somebody tell you, "I don't know what you mean. I only know what you say." When you said something kind of wrong, and you're trying to get your point across, but you're struggling with the words. That's pretty hurtful. Because it's like, you, you do know what I'm trying to say, right? Do you care what I'm trying to say? I don't know what you mean. I only know what you say. Okay, you little hard hearted dictator, you jerk. You know, God knows what you mean. Yes, sir. And He cares about what you mean. And He's got the Spirit of God in place to take your prayers up and communicate them to God in a way you could never do so, and you could never communicate them anyhow. I tell the Lord all the time, and then I laugh at myself for telling him. I'm like, Lord, if this stuff is wrong, Holy Spirit, switch it up by the time it gets there, you know. And then I start laughing. He's like, I already do that, stupid. Shut up, you know, because <laughs> I don't know. How, I don't know how to pray right. He knows my heart, folks. It's about your heart. So here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about some of these kids saying a sinner's prayer, but not really knowing that they're on their way to hell. I'm going to say this again because it's a human nature thing. I'm not accusing any of you of doing it. It's just a human nature thing. Just because one of your peers' kids gets saved at a certain age doesn't mean you should pressure yours to. It ain't a competition. It's an eternal soul. And your children's soul should be more precious to you than your pride. <coughs> now. We'll get them to say some prayer. Make sure that little heart is ready we, we maybe went too far the other way. We made them push us. All right, honey, we'll talk about it more tomorrow. Anna was finally like, no, Dad, i got to do this now. And you could see her face. She was scared. She's on a conviction. When I looked at Grace. Grace looked at me. We were in the living room at the old house. Like, ah, I guess she's ready because <laughs> we've been putting her off for a little while. And if you could distract her with an ice cream cone, she ain't really uh, all that serious about hell, is she? Those things melt real fast in hell that was a good conversation honey you want ice cream yes the response should be that wouldn't make it very long in hell and i'm not going to either i need to get saved first then we'll get to the ice cream you understand what i'm saying you don't have to take it as far as i did i'm just don't discourage your kids from getting saved just pray real hard for wisdom and discernment to know that that little heart is ready Verse 11, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Any of you ever be ashamed to witness? Be honest. Be real honest right now. Any of you ever felt like you should need to pull your Bible out at work and then kind of like not pulled it? I'll read it on my phone instead. <laughs> Something about this book. I'll preach to you about it Sunday morning so I'll try not to get ahead of myself. You want you to watch the power of the Bible? Get a big old Bible like this. Walk into a public place. And don't hold it like you're ashamed of it or like you're trying to hide it. Hold it like this. Or walk through it like that. And watch how many people turn. I'm telling you, man, this thing, this thing is powerful. They notice it's a Bible. Still, still in this country. Not much longer, but still. You ever ashamed of it? Well, whosoever believeth shall not be ashamed. I must not be saved. That's not what that thing's saying. That thing's saying, if you believe on Jesus Christ and put your faith and trust in Him, then when you stand before the Lord, you will not be ashamed of the decision you made to trust Christ. You're not going to regret it, is what he's saying. You won't regret it when you die. Now, if that's the case, that explains why the devil tries to make us so ashamed in this life. So if we know we're not going to be ashamed... Let's not be ashamed now. But I'm telling you, that's the best decision you ever made. By the way, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior sitting in this pew and haven't told me, don't be ashamed. Let me know. People have done that a lot, and I find out two months later why I got saved. When? It was an invitation, like November 2nd. You were preaching, and you said you can trust Christ right where you are, and I did, and I know He saved me. Praise the Lord. You know, some of these guys get so stupid and so carried away with some of this stuff. That they're like, well, if you didn't walk an aisle, you didn't get saved. And if you didn't tell somebody about it, you didn't get saved. And you're reading a lot into the text, aren't you? Is that what it's teaching? Or is it teaching that you won't be ashamed of that decision? For whosoever shall call upon the name, for there's no difference, verse 12, between the Jew and the Greek. Well, there you go. So the Lord don't care about races. Hot topic in this ridiculous culture we're in. I don't either. If you love the Bible and love Jesus Christ, I could care less. I've, I've said it for years. I want this place to look like the League of Nations on Sunday morning. Now we got Morocco and South Africa and Mexico, and we need to get some more going, man. I, I, why? If they want the Bible, they're welcome here. You want the truth? Yeah. Then this is the place for you. You don't want the truth? Wrong place. It won't work out. Just go now before it causes trouble. For whosoever, verse 13, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Did you call on the name of the Lord to forgive your sins and save your soul, yes or no? Okay, if you did, guess what he did for you? Period. Period. You know what demonic spirits will do? Are you sure you got saved? Did you mean it when you meant it? Did you really say it when you said it? How could a saved man say something like that? <laughs> How could a saved person act like you're acting right now? How could a saved person cast doubt on another saved person's salvation? Because saved people do all kinds of stupid stuff. And so do lost people. And to be honest with you, lost people are usually worse. Let's stop beating up on saved people all the time. Lord makes a real good difference. I mean, it's really not that bad to be around you all. That was meant that was meant, you know, real nice. It's really not that bad. Okay, it's awesome being around y'all. I love it. I can't stand that kind of stuff, man. I, I you, have you noticed I don't put a lot of pressure on people to get saved again? If you're doubting it, you shouldn't be doubting it. I don't know any good Christians that didn't at some point or another doubt their salvation. Is that fair? Yes, I've doubted my salvation. So you know what I did every time I doubted it? I made sure. Again, Lord, if I didn't get saved when I was actually five, I want to get saved right now. Please, I don't want to go to hell. And Lord's like, oh, gosh, kid, really? We're going to do this drill again? How many of you have done that? Come on, be honest. Let's see it. Oh, my God, praise the Lord. I'm not alone. Good. That's great. Make sure. And you know what happened with time? As time has gone on, as i have Stayed at it and the Lord's been good to me. I remember the time I got saved. And I'm sure when I got saved. I don't ever try to retread you. If you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save your soul. And you met at the best you knew how at that time. And you were putting your faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Knowing that he's no longer in hell. He's no longer on that cross. He rose again. He's seated next to the right hand of the throne of God to ever live it to make intercession for you. You didn't know all that when you got saved. Right. But you trusted him. Amen. Then you're saved. Amen. And you have his word on it. Amen. So he has to lie to you and break his word to send you to hell. Right. You calling God a sinner? Good response. You all froze right up. Okay, so when the devil comes along and tells you you're not saved, when you know you're saved, there you go. Verse 14, we're almost done. Just give me a couple more minutes, please. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not heard, in whom they have not believed? Now watch how he works his way backwards. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That's convicting, huh? You, you probably can tell somebody. I'm pretty sure all of us eventually can lead one soul to Christ before we die and go to heaven. I'm not trying to put a bunch of pressure on you. I'm just saying, how are they going to hear if you don't tell them? So I'm not trying to say you've got to go grab a bunch of gospel tracks and go start running around and trying to jump on everybody. What I would say is this, why don't you pray and ask God to set you up? And watch God set you up. He'll, he'll, he'll set up your circumstances. He'll set you up with the right person at the right time and watch him do it. Just ask God. You think if you ask God for that, that's something he might give you? A prayer he might be interested in answering? Yes, sir. And does it? don't you think he knows how weak you are and remembers your frame that you're just dust? Yes, sir. So you can tell him, Lord, I'm really, really shy and I'm nowhere near the Christian I should be and I'm not bold enough. Would you give me the perfect opportunity? And watch him give you the perfect opportunity. Maybe try. Can't hurt to try. I've done it. <laughs> when I had to get myself back in gear because I quit, you know, it's not, not doing as good lately. I start with just dropping tracks in the bathroom at the gas station or at the restaurant or whatever, just throw a track on the counter and get out. You know, look around. You know. <laughs> I've done this stuff when I was younger, where you unroll the toilet paper and the thing and put it in there and roll it back up and then say, "Lord, help the right person to get that," you know. <laughs> just when you start you understand what I'm saying when you start just do what you can without a bunch of pressure on you and let God grow you you might not you might be surprised what the Lord might do with you down the road verse 15 how shall they preach except they be sent that's a good verse for sending missionaries as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings and good things never seen beautiful feet just saying they're functional but they're Not exactly what I'd call beautiful. I hope to God, none of you fellas paint your toes. And if you do, don't tell me. I will never look at you the same again. And women paint their toes, you know. That's all good, whatever. You know, that's great. still feet. (laughs) The Lord doesn't look at things the way you and I look at them. He says, those are beautiful feet. Why? Because he's carrying the gospel. Here's the response, verse 16, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. That's why you get discouraged. You can't win them all. How many of you had people promise they're coming to church and not show up? I've had more promise they're coming than actually come. Sometimes I'm ashamed of myself because I'm like, hey, you're here. (laughs) I didn't think God answered prayer. I've been praying for you. Wow, you know. It's like, huh. Because they don't all obey. That doesn't make you a bad witness. It means they're rebellious. Some of you are fishing in ponds where they got a lot of money and they got good careers and they got a lot of things distracting them and a lot of things pulling at them and you're, you're in a tough pond. You're probably not gonna get tons and tons of fruit. The Lord may give you one or two here or there. But Isaiah had the same problem doesn't make him a bad Christian. He just did what he could. Lord, we have believed our report. Look at verse 17. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I'll be preaching on it Sunday morning. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You guys, the Bible is so powerful. If you can get the Bible in front of them, if you can quote the verses, if you can't get it in front of them, but if you can get them to agree to sit down and take a look at the Bible and start opening up the Bible and they start seeing that thing, the spirit of God will bear witness with their spirit if they're looking for the truth. You, it's got the power. It's got all the power that's needed. You have to trust your Bible and you've got to get a knowledge of your Bible. Keep coming to church. Keep learning. Keep growing. Keep reading. Keep praying. And then get the Bible in front of them and the Bible will do the work. It's an amazing thing. You moms and dads are doing a great job having your kids in church on a Wednesday night. It's a powerful book we're giving them. And we'll, I'll do my best. I promise you I'll do my best and I'll work harder to get better at it. I promise you. That Bible will change your lives. Some of you young men, the devil does not want to see you guys here. You understand that? He doesn't want to see it. Because if you guys will follow God, then you can lead a wife and you can lead kids the right way and you can be a good man and you can love her and take care of her and you can love those kids and raise them up for God and the devil don't want to see it. Get the Bible in you. Keep coming. Keep coming. Verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. Everybody's had a chance. God speaks to them through creation, through conscience, and through his word. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I'll provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. That's us Gentiles. Every last one of you. You know what you all are? Not being insulting, because I'm one of you. You're all a bunch of Gentiles. Yeah. Yeah. National pride is a joke. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you, don't, oh, you are an American or whatever, you're this or you're that, why were you born what you are? Did you do it for yourself? If you didn't do it for yourself, then who do you think you are looking down at somebody else? Because right. they're a different race than you. Like your pits don't stink. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> sure you do. There's Gentiles and then there's Israel. And God said, I'm going to provoke Israel to jealousy by them that are no people and by a foolish nation I'll anger you. That's Gentiles. The chosen people are the Jews, folks. That's it. They're God's chosen people. The rest of us are Gentiles. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. That's Gentiles. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Well, they were worshiping Baal and offering babies to, uh, 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 babies to idols and fornication and all the rest. They weren't following the law. And God, the Gentiles found the Savior that was supposed to be the Jews. But to Israel, he saith all day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Now, here's the end of the story for tonight. <clears throat> Disobedience, you understand what that is, and gainsaying Gainsaying is to deny, contradict, speak against, or oppose. Now, here's the moral of the story for you and I. When God gives you truth, don't push it away. Hear me? When God shows you something, never gainsay against it. When God says, you're wrong, you should say, Yes, sir. I don't care if that means you gotta submit your pride to your husband or to your wife. Yes. Well that was Reagan, he's such a Well, I mean if you're wrong, you're wrong. You're man enough to say I'm sorry, right? Don't lose your leadership in the home by saying, Honey, I'm a jerk. I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me? If the God says you're wrong, then you're wrong. And the first thing you do when God sets truth, we're talking about truth, right? Love and truth. I I thought I meant every word of the King James Bible. How about the truth that applies to you? How about when God says you're wrong about something? A gainsayer opposes it, speaks against it, contradicts it, won't submit to it. Light rejected becomes lightning. Don't push away the truth God gives you. All right, we'll stop there and pick it up in the next chapter next week. I appreciate you being here and appreciate your attention and all the rest of that. And uh, we'll go ahead and be dismissed in a word of prayer. I'm going to pick on Ben Long.